Welcome to Forecast, the foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. This season, our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage and Worship, exploring the journeys we make in search of wholeness in God. I'm Josh, and with me today is Ryan Keating, a writer, pastor, and winemaker on the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. His writing has been published in various journals such as St. Catherine Review, Ecstasis, and Agape Review. And um, since I follow his social media accounts on the foreshadow social media, I often see when his writing is published elsewhere, and it's it's a delight to read his work in various places. So, And uh, last season, we were able to publish one of his poems on Foreshadow called Jonah Moves. And this season, we're publishing two more of his poems, which he will read to us in a few moments. Ryan, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yes. And it's thank you, especially. That's, we're also joined by a cat in my lap. Yes. You that's, might be able to hear her. Yes. That'll be a nice addition to the conversation. <laughs> Could you um, int introduce yourself to our listeners, um, where you come from, what you do, you um, and who are some important people in your life in addition to the cat? Yeah, I can do that. So I'm, um, I'm I'm living in Cyprus, as you mentioned, and I've been in Cyprus for for just over six years. I live here with my wife and four kids, um, and uh, we've got. A ministry and work here in North Cyprus. If you're familiar at all with the situation of Cyprus, you might know that the island is divided. There's the Republic of Cyprus in the south, which is Greek-speaking, predominantly ethnically Greek and Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, and then the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, which is predominantly Muslim and Turkish-speaking and is ethnically Turkish and is diplomatically not recognized by any country in the world except for Turkey. And that's the part where we live. We live in the north, the Turkish-speaking part, um, and um, we, we, yeah, we lived here for six years. Um, I lived in Turkey for ten years before we moved here, and um, we were deported from Turkey and labeled a threat to national security as a result of the work that we were doing there. So, um, North Cyprus was a place where we could come to continue ministering in a Turkish-speaking context, in a culturally Turkish area, and our kids didn't have to learn another language during their schooling years, and um, it also kept us in the region where I had other ministry responsibilities, supervising projects and teams, and those kinds of things here. Uh, so we started in uh, in in North Cyprus, a coffee company, which is something I was doing in Turkey as well. I, I roast specialty coffee, and we have a coffee shop called Exile Cafe. And I also make wine, um, and I, that's something that I only learned to do uh, just before arriving in Cyprus. And we developed that area of work here in Cyprus, partly because Cyprus has been producing wine for uh, more than 6,000 years. Um, and wow. so while coffee, you know, coffee is, is commonly consumed all over the Turkish world, Turkish coffee is famous, but coffee is an imported product. It comes from somewhere else and that doesn't grow in Cyprus or in Turkey, but, but wine comes from the dirt of this place. 
Mm. And wine has mm. come from the soil of Cyprus for 6,000 years. So it was something that we were interested in learning about and learning how to make. And uh, so I became a, uh, a winemaker and a sommelier. And a tea. I teach now about wine. Mm. Um, as part of our, our, our life and work here. But we run a ministry training program called Exile Ministry Training, training men and women for ministry, especially in the Muslim world. Uh, and we take a, a group of just eight students every year to live in a monastic community. Um, and um, those men and women make a commitment to God and to one another around a five-fold vow, prayer, ministry, study, community, and faithfulness. And, um and normally they're coming from uh, all over the world. This last year, our students were from Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Nigeria. Um, we have students regularly from, well, we had from Brazil, the U.S., South Africa, uh, Togo, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Bulgaria. So mm -hmm. a really diverse class every year. Uh, and, and then they go on to serve in places in the Muslim world. And, and then I also am a pastor of a church here, uh, a church that meets in three languages, three congregations. We meet in Turkish, English, and in Russian. The Turkish and English services meet at the cafe, uh, uh, and then the Russian service meets elsewhere. But uh, those are the basically kind of the, the three poles of my life and work here. There, but the, the the business, exile coffee and wine, the church, and the training program. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wow. That's what we're doing. Yes. And I have a lot of questions. I won't, we won't have time to ask them. And I, I wish that we had had you as a guest last season when we were exploring vocation and faith, because I feel okay. that there are a lot of threads with your vocation and your work and mm -hmm. your calling. And maybe some of that will come in our conversation today on pilgrimage. And yeah. as we look at the two poems that you uh, will, um, that we will have published soon that you've written, have to also do with some of your both the vocations that you have mentioned so yeah um, do you, would you be willing to read those poems for us and we'll have a, a little bit of time discussing them as well as the work associated sure. with them? yeah of course yeah the the first poem is called presence and is one of the first poems that i ever intentionally wrote uh as a poem hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I didn't get, I, I, I've, I've written my whole life and um, I mostly in journals and for myself. And, uh, you know, I, I was doing things like psalm writing and writing prayers, but um, it was only a couple of years ago that I started writing poetry intentionally as poetry. And uh, this is one of the first, so I'll, I'll read it to you. It's a poem called Presence. You sit with me in the dark at the table where wine spills on my finger because I couldn't see the glass or the bread corn for us to share. Um, and thank you. The poem is a, you know, it's a, it's a reflection on the presence of God. And it's obviously with reference to the Lord's supper here um, the poem is about God's presence with me, even when I can't recognize him with me, or even when I'm unaware of um, uh, 
the way forward, you know, that, 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 that metaphor of sitting in the dark. Um, yeah. Just thinking about the way that God is with me, even when I can't see it mm-hmm. um, and the way that God's presence with us is sometimes messy. It's sometimes not, uh, not neat. And, you know, that they, they sometimes our, our church experience makes the Lord's supper a very sterile, uh, removed aloof kind of experience but in the poem i'm trying to bring that back to a real table with real people and real hands and um and Mm. sometimes it's messy and Mm. the bread is torn and um but he's there he's there with me even when i can't see it and the bread is there to share yeah I really like that and i i guess i'm really seeing there's a lot of tension in the poem with regard to there's darkness um you say you sit with me in the dark and you can't see the glass or the bread. And yet, as I read or listen to the poem, I can see those things in my mind. And so it's there's like a mm. it's kind of mm. paradoxical because um it, it's there's both darkness and there's um there are these objects that one I can imagine. And I and that's a really um I re- that's a really appropriate in my experience too, metaphor for um the Eucharist. Uh, the, the what's happening. Mm. We're t- taking Christ's body and blood into ourselves and we can't see you know the the metabolic reactions that that's taking place in our bodies it's um yeah it's it kind of internal and yet we trust that god is is present with us through that um even though we yeah. don't know the details of how that takes place so um yeah wow yeah yeah i think that's right and it's been the case you know in my life often at the times when god's presence is most meaningful um are the times when it is most difficult to discern. Mm. Um, yeah. So knowing that God is at the table with me is important, especially at the times when I can't see him there. Mm. That's a really powerful message. And it's and that's great to to also to see kind of your early works, I guess, to 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 imagine that, you know, yeah. when this is used kind of starting out. Um and how about how about the, the next Yeah, I mean yeah, go ahead. I, was just, I, I often have compared the the other things that I write. I kind of go back to that and think, is it as good as that one? <laughs> okay. You know, I, I I really I really liked it, and uh, you know, it felt like it was coming from an honest place, and yeah. that there was something uh, the right balance of effort and heart. Yeah. Uh, in that poem. Yeah, the next one you asked about is uh, it's also a also a wine poem. And um, also a Lord's Supper kind of poem, and uh, and in this one, I'm focusing on the very physical nature of the bread and the wine, um, and trying to weave those real characteristics of bread and wine into the meaning of the Lord's Supper um, and thinking about the Lord's Supper as uh, as a way of remembering something that Jesus has done. But the Lord's Supper is also an opportunity to participate in what God has done for us. We die to ourselves and we join with God in the dying. And, uh, and yet also in the Lord's Supper, of course, we are recognizing that because of Jesus' death, we are accessing life, resurrection life. 
And so those things are uh, trying to express in, in that poem. So um, I can read it for you. It's called The Wine Remembers. The wine remembers being blood when it dripped from the true vine before it reaches my lips so I can imagine dying. And the bread proclaims with crunch and tear that it is body and my soul laid bare to be fed broken but rising. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and it's... Um, Sometimes I... Go ahead. I was I was gonna say that there's, there's an element of this one which feels better on the page than when I say it out loud, uh, but uh, but um, that we you know it's describing kind of personifying the wine um, that the wine remembers, um, and um, there's something real about that as a winemaker mm -hmm. recognizing that. Uh, wine, when it goes into the bottle, it's a, a record of history. It's a record of what the harvest was like that year and the thousands of years of cultivation of that particular grape in that particular soil. And it's also a record of the history uh, mm -hmm. of what I did with it after the harvest and mm -hmm. how I treated the wine and um, what ha happened during the fermentation and the aging and racking and uh, the bottling and um, it's uh, the wine does remember that we you know you you can't uh, you can't fool that you can't you know there, there's no short circuiting that process it's uh, it's um, it's going to it's going to reveal whatever you did to it hmm. um, um, the wine remembers yeah yeah. And yeah. in this case, where you know I'm, I'm describing the wine remembering the symbolism of Jesus, the wine remembers being blood, yeah. mm. and that's yeah, yeah so, interesting. Um, and I think that's possible oh, when I'm taking the Lord's Supper too, participating in communion. I'm uh, you know trying to put myself into those symbols and both imagining the death of Jesus but also that real symbol of taking into myself the death of mm -hmm. Jesus so I can imagine dying. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just like, I suppose just that reading, just that line alone feels morbid, but, uh, um, but it's not about, you know, imagining some future death of mine, but rather imagining my participation in, the death of Jesus uh, and that's where that, you know, goes on that next stanza that it's, um, it's physical, it's real. The faith is embodied. It isn't a sterile religious ritual. Uh, and growing up, you know, communion, it was communion and it was a tiny little cup with grape juice and a, and a little cracker. Mm -hmm. like saltines or something. And uh, it wasn't crunch and tear. It wasn't even wine. It didn't look or feel like blood. And it was something, 
ethereal and removed and uh so much of my christian maturity since that time growing up i think has been about embodying the faith in a more authentic way in a way that uh feels more like a crunch and tear mm. than like little cups and crackers yes and i guess that's a good um transition to talking about pilgrimage um I'd be I'd be curious to hear how that uh, development took place for you, even with your understanding of communion, but more deeply the 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 spiritual uh, changes that have taken place. But my, the question that I've prepared is: Can you describe a pilgrimage you have been on? So um, whether that's mm -hmm. the the kind of spiritual journey that we're describing now, or a physical pilgrimage and you you have sounds like you have traveled a lot and to different places but um can, can you give an example of, of one that you've been on that that you can share with us yeah uh yes i when i was 16 years old i lived in turkey it was the first year in turkey and it was during that time that i really sensed a call from god to return to Turkey. And, you know, I think probably with more certainty than with anything else in my life, I knew from when I was 16 years old that Turkey was where I should be. And I spent so much of my life from 1993 until 2006, focusing on Turkey, praying for Turkey, visiting Turkey, uh, bringing teams to Turkey, honing my Turkish and and then in 2006, I lived there uh, for 10 years, from 2006 to 2016 with my family. And, um, and uh, in 2016, because of the work that we were doing, as I said, we were deported from Turkey. And that happens to Christians. It has happened to Christians in this part of the world for centuries. But um, leaving Turkey, I left Turkey under circumstances that I didn't choose, I was exiled from Turkey. And uh, I was detained, interrogated, deported. And I spent a few months wandering. It was October 2016. And I had to go back to the UK. I'd been teaching in the UK uh, for a week when uh, I tried to return home to Turkey. And that's when I found out that I couldn't come back. Mm. My family, my wife and kids were back in the capital and uh, they had to pack up our belongings and we had to figure out where we were going to go to. And we spent a couple of weeks in England and I had other travel plans, commitments that I kept. And then eventually we, we spent the holidays in the US and we made a visit to Cyprus and decided that Cyprus is where we would come to live. And so in February 2017, we moved to Cyprus. And I think that's a kind of pilgrimage. Uh, it's a kind of a going, a kind of a arriving at a destination um, that is, I think, holy. It is God's calling. And uh, it also imagine it emerged out of circumstances that I just wouldn't have chosen. The coming to Cyprus was 
uh, definitely God's plan. It was definitely pilgrimage. It was definitely the, um, the destination, the plan that God had. And so uh, that's, I think the, the first sense of pilgrimage that I would want to describe is coming to Cyprus. And I think when I first arrived in Cyprus, I was here because I couldn't be in Turkey. And that was okay as a reason to come to Cyprus, but it wasn't going to be okay as a reason to stay in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to own a vision Mm-hmm. a passion, a sense of settledness for Cyprus. And so I think my my pilgrimage to Cyprus was first uh, arriving here physically, but then um, emotionally, spiritually, yeah. it took a couple of years for me really to arrive in cyprus yes i understand what you're saying it's interesting because most of the time when we think of pilgrimages um people are intentional about setting off from point a to point b such as the um yeah um well there's a pilgrimage in the uk you might be familiar with um saint cuthbert's way that goes to holy Mm -hmm. island there's a set path of 60 miles or so i think um but Mm -hmm. for you uh it didn't at the time you didn't plan to to go to Cyprus, and yet looking back, it seems you've mm-hmm. um, you've uh, you've accepted yeah. it, maybe, or you've um, you've seen God's yeah. kind of work in in retrospect. Um, how did? Can you say a little more about yeah. how you how you um, how you had that change of your understanding of your situation? Yeah, I can. I you know, there's so many stories that relate to that transition, that spiritual, emotional. Uh, coming home to Cyprus. Um, but um, I mean, just yesterday, or not Saturday, actually, so Saturday, I was uh, giving a tour of St. Barnabas's tomb and the church that's dedicated to him. Barnabas was from Salamis, which is just five minutes down the road from right here from where I, I live. And he's buried there. Okay. Uh, his tomb is there. This is the and, Barnabas uh, that was um, the son of encouragement, Paul's companion of Acts. Is that's that right? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I didn't realize that yeah. he was from from Cyprus. Or, yeah. Yeah. He's from Cyprus. Paul and the first destination on the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas took from Antioch was Cyprus. This is where they arrived, and they arrived here because that's where he was from. Um, and so Christians, especially Orthodox Christians, Eastern Orthodox Christians, come to that site, the tomb of Barnabas, uh, as a pilgrimage site. Uh, and I spend a lot of time there giving tours of the place and giving tours of the icons and explaining the the meanings of the icons in the church. Hmm. Uh, and so that has meant learning about icons learning about mm-hmm. eastern orthodoxy in mm-hmm. a way that i didn't expect um would be part of my christian life and yeah. i've come to appreciate so much of that and uh, standing there at the tomb of barnabas and uh, joining with the other pilgrims in that place uh, mm-hmm. that's one kind of concrete way that cyprus has been um, a pilgrimage destination I but see. it was during the pandemic also that um 
we the pen, we had a really severe lockdowns here, really strict lockdowns here in uh, North Cyprus as soon as the pandemic started. And North Cyprus is a really small country, and so they were able to uh, lock everything down, and um, that gave us time to pray and meditate and there was a season there where we were allowed to go out of our homes, but not to the city center. And there's an abandoned monastery that I drove out to about uh, 40 minutes from the house. And um, I, I kind of felt a prayer fermenting in me uh, over the days and weeks before that trip. And I had gone there specifically looking for a kind of a centering prayer or an anchoring prayer that would give uh, focus to my life and ministry in Cyprus in a way that I always had uh, a clear sense of in Turkey mm. during my years there. And um, and I, I think that God did give me that. And it was during that I brought some, uh, I brought, I brought a little very Cyprus clay incense burner and some incense and a little charcoal tablet and lit some incense in that uh, abandoned monastery. It's been abandoned for it's a 500-year-old monastery that's been abandoned uh, since um, 1974. And, hmm. uh, uh, and I felt like I did move, come away from that time with a, with a prayer. And the prayer is um, simple to say and really quite deep and meaningful for me, but it's God, make Cyprus a deep well for the benefit of the nations. Make Cyprus a deep well for the benefit of the nations that we want our lives to be about investing in Cyprus so that Cyprus itself can be genuinely a deep well for the benefit of the nations, not just a, a, a transit lounge on the way to somewhere else and uh, not just a buffet table where someone can pick something up and go away, but genuinely invest in the place and to see Cyprus be a blessing to the nations. And so um, can we plant ourselves in the soil here deeply so that something beautiful, something good can take root and mm. flourish? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really strong um, metaphor for what you're describing. And I think um, because I, and I can really, I can really relate to what you're saying about um, um, being somewhere that you didn't plan to be but finding a treasure, a buried treasure there, or a deep well, um, with the the, for instance, the the history of and the the presence of the saints that were there before, like Saint Barnabas, and and encountering uh, depths of holiness there. Um, um, I, I guess in thinking about it, in I know it's not about it's it's about you, but I just wanted to share uh, that just where I live, um, and um, places I've been around the UK. I'm learning more about the, the the saints that were here in in England mm -hmm. and Saint Columba, um, mm -hmm. Saint Mungo, uh, several others, um, and and certain places too where people in the UK make pilgrimages to like holy wells or or churches that have been uh, that have history going back hundreds of years and um, and finding there um, unexpected sources of of um, of holiness and um, and and God's presence and um so that's a really powerful um experience I, I i imagine and yeah so thank you for sharing that yeah my pleasure yeah that, that 
leads into the question that your 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 next question actually because yeah well I'll let you ask it first you haven't asked it yet well yeah I know yeah that's I was gonna say that too um <laughs> so yeah so because our theme is songs of ascents um which as as you will know those are the 15 psalms in the book of psalms that the hebrews would have been singing on their on their own pilgrimages every year to the temple in jerusalem and so i imagine while they were singing those songs it it nourished and strengthened their their long walk and lo their long hike up the mountain um and so so the question we're asking our guests this season as well is what are your songs of ascent um what mm -hmm. are the things the whether they're songs or books or um, and those books could be biblical books or or novels or you know poetry, forms of worship, people that are significant to you or other things. What what are some of those things that strengthen your faith and nourish you? Well, um, there's lots. There's, that's a huge question, but uh, um, <laughs> I I'll, I'll I'll start somewhere and see where the answer goes. But one of the things that first come to mind when I read the question was that uh, we use the Celtic Book of Prayer in the mm -hmm. training program that we run here. And in other areas of my life, we have often come back to that um, those seventh century prayers from Northumbria mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the morning, noon, and evening prayers. And uh, we use them in Turkish and in English. Um, they were translated into Turkish by uh, a pastor in Istanbul many years ago. Um, and we've used them as part of our worship here at our Turkish fellowship. And in, when we do the, the training program in Turkish, we've used them there as well. Um, and I have found real life in in coming back to those words and thinking deeply about those words. In fact, I, I, I just wrote a, um, a poem recently about one of the lines in the canticle um, there, which is uh, for Christ to overshadow me. And, um, you know, growing up, I grew up in a, um, with a wonderful community of people who love me, who were, it was a, uh, you know, non-denominational evangelical church, as low church as low church gets. And uh, the idea of recited prayers was mm -hmm. just not even in the universe of worship that I grew up in. And um, uh, so that's a, something that I learned to appreciate, um, that there's real life in deeply meditating on and joining in the prayers of saints that have gone before mm -hmm. and the idea that you know for, for for centuries these words have been prayed by uh communities by believers that's uh there's something valuable beautiful about that so those prayers from the Celtic book of prayer particularly uh as they are expressed in turkish and being able to share that with my turkish friends students uh, that's um, that's something that has been nourishing, strengthening to my faith. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, I have uh, a Saturday 
ritual. Uh, Saturday is usually um, a day off for me, or I, I try not to go into the cafe. Um, try not to go into work on Saturdays. Um, and when I have the opportunity on Saturdays, I try to spend most of it in the kitchen cooking. Mm. Uh, so uh, that means, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to set up the iPad and we're going to find um, something to watch on Netflix or Amazon prime or something. And, uh, and I'm going to spend, you know, six or seven or eight hours cooking. That's a, that's an ideal Saturday. And so then there's a, you know, it's often cooking shows. I love to watch cooking shows, love to watch the old ones, love to watch the new ones. Uh, I watch, you know, Anthony Bourdain and I watch uh, somebody feed Phil and I watch uh, chef's table and mind of a chef. And uh, I watch Julia child and um, whatever I can, uh, whatever I can find. I'm uh, so the kids have grown up in the kitchen watching cooking shows with me uh, and being in the kitchen and watching those shows and making food and sometimes being inspired by the things that we're watching. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a liturgy for, for me on Saturdays mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. strengthening to my faith, I think. Yes. Well, I was just going to say that I'll, I'll share, I'll send links to the, the poem you mentioned about overshadow me as well as another poem mm -hmm. you, you public got published um, about the recent earthquake in, in Turkey called and lift them um, yeah. so that are that that was published on, yeah. uh, in a agape review um but i was going to say as well that um it's too bad we can't also um have a taste of your your cooking as well as um a taste of your poetry uh, <laughs> yeah you're welcome to my house you know we've got room at the table over here and cyprus is a pretty beautiful place to to visit i'd be happy to host guests who are listening to the podcast who want to stop in on a Saturday for whatever I'm cooking. Yes, that's a great invitation. Thank you. And um and and given what you've described about Cyprus as well with um St. Barnabas and the history and the 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 various places people go on pilgrimage there, that's that's an that's an amazing uh, invitation. Well thank you yeah. so much for your time, Ryan. Um and and sharing this this glimpse into your life with us. Um as I said, I'll be sharing the links to those poems and and over the the next few weeks, we'll be sharing the two poems on foreshadow that Ryan has read for us. Um, Ryan, are there any final uh, words you'd like to say about pilgrimage or and or if there's any um, links or projects that you that you want our listeners to know about or ways that people can read more of your writing online? Hmm. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. This was a lot of fun. I don't get uh, a lot of opportunity to talk about um, my poetry and um, I just realizing how much I have to say about it. I love thinking about it, love talking about it, love talking about other people's poems as well. So I really enjoyed this conversation and um, I uh, am grateful that somebody's going to be reading the poems. So yeah, I mean, the, the places you've mentioned, you know, you can find me on Twitter. If people want to uh, find me on Twitter at um, Keating R is my Twitter handle, just Keating R, um, or you can find me on Facebook at Ryan Keating, and I share often um, 
things that I'm writing. In fact, I've got a I've got a closed group of Facebook friends that I share things that I'm working on even. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's really interesting. You can get in on that. And I, I'm looking to converse in that group with other people who are writing and, you know, it's called, it's a group, it's a little group called where to put your poems. Okay. Uh, cool. So yeah. Great. But that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. And with that, if you enjoyed my conversation with Ryan, let us know by leaving a review, emailing us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com, or connecting with us on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other conversations. Stay tuned. In two weeks' time, we plan to publish a new conversation about pilgrimage. Also, sign up for our free weekly newsletter, sharing new work every week. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today.